Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kenny taught from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. To be a disciple of Jesus requires us to see his surpassing value and choose to follow him. This means that we must lay down every alternative path we could choose. You guys can open up your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. Um, We are starting a new series called I Have Decided. I Have Decided. And just in general, this year we decided to frame our teaching, uh, all of our, our teaching this year, based on, on who we are, who we believe God has called us to be as a church, and who God wants us to be as a church. If you guys look on the walls, you'll see that our mission statement is to passionately point people to Jesus and teach them to be and make disciples. And so we, we did a series on, on, on passionately pointing people to Jesus. What does that look like? Um, and right now we're in the part of what does it look like to be a disciple? What does it look like to be a disciple? So we're going to spend six weeks looking at some things that Jesus taught about what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we're calling it, I have decided. And this comes from a hymn. You might, might be familiar with this language. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And it's a great hymn that was, that was written in the 1900s. And it was uh, the hymn writer actually heard a story about a missionary who had a Baptist missionary went to this, this, this rural area that was rough, pagan, not following in the God of the Bible for sure. And they bring Jesus to this town. And a few people, a few people give their life to Jesus, start to follow Jesus and they're radically persecuted to the point where the leader of their little church tribe is brought before the, the, the city, the chief, and his family is brought before this chief. And they say, you guys are causing a problem with this Jesus stuff. If you don't tone it down, if you don't, if you don't deny Jesus, we're going to kill your family right now. And the story goes, he said, I've decided to follow Jesus. His family passes away and they give you one more chance we're going to torture you if you don't deny this jesus he says no i've decided to follow jesus they torture him what do you think about it now he said i've decided to follow jesus and he becomes a martyr this guy hears about it is so inspired he writes this song i've decided to follow jesus no turning back no turning back it's a profound experience it's a profound song with deep meaning. And so we want to learn from this. What does it look like for us to be people who have decided to follow Jesus? And when we say, I've decided to follow Jesus, when you say you follow Jesus, it's synonymous with, with choosing to become a disciple of Jesus. Following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus are the same thing. A disciple is someone who has, who has placed themselves under a rabbi or a, or a teacher. They're learning from this teacher. They're following this teacher. It's an apprenticeship type word, right? You're a disciple. You're going to follow this Jesus as an apprentice, just following him, doing what he says, obeying him, learning from him, becoming more like him, taking on his mission, all of those things. We've decided to follow Jesus. And so today we're going to look in Luke chapter 18, and we're going to see a man who was invited to follow Jesus. And he ends, up, he ends up rejecting the offer. And so here's, here's kind of the big idea of today's teaching is this, that being a disciple of Jesus 
requires us to see his surpassing value and decide to follow him. And the implication that many miss with this is it seems simple, right? I've decided to follow Jesus. I see his value. I say, yes, I want to follow him. But the implication that many miss is this. It means laying down every other alternative path. Every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to 10,000 other things. That's just the way life works. You can't do everything. Every time we say yes to something, we're saying no to other things. And so when we say yes to following Jesus, we are, we are saying no to other alternative paths. And this man is offered to follow Jesus, but he realizes that it's going to cost him some things to follow Jesus. He's going to have to say no to some things in order to say yes to this Jesus. He weighs it, and he fails to see the surpassing worth of Jesus. And so he, he does not follow this Jesus. He rejects him. So we have in Luke chapter 18, and we'll look at verses 18 through 23. It says, a ruler asked him. Now, who's the players here? When he says the ruler um, what this is, is, is this is going to be somebody in society who has a lot of influence. You know, some people in society have a lot of influence. People know who this person is. Maybe they're, they're a business person. Maybe they're on the city council. Maybe, maybe when, when this person speaks, people listen. People know who this person is. This person is somewhat of a leader in the community He's somebody that people look up to in the community. That's this word ruler. It doesn't mean like he's a king or, or, or he's in an official title within the government. It just means he's influential. An influential man asks Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. I've kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. So here you have this, this, this influential man who then we find out at the end of the story has a lot of money. He's very wealthy. He's doing really well. He meets this Jesus, and he says, good teacher, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You're a, spiritual, you're a rabbi. You have, you have the, the, the words of life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you got to follow these commandments. And he gives five out of ten. We know there's ten commandments, right? He gives five out of ten. And then the, they happen to be the five that, you would, that have to do with how you treat other people. Right? And he goes, oh, cool, I've done all of that. But one thing you lack. Go sell everything that you have. And give it to the poor. Don't give it to me, give it to the poor. And then come follow me. And you'll have a great treasure in heaven. And he weighs this out. And he goes, nah, dog. I like my stuff. He doesn't follow Jesus. 
And it means laying down other alternative paths in order to follow this Jesus. That's the implication so often we can miss. And Luke frames this conversation, though, with a great, com- with a, a great question, doesn't he? He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this one question actually can be broken down into actually two great questions. What is eternal life? What is eternal life? And then how do I gain it? How do I gain it? And so in your notes, you can, you can fill in your first blank is this. What is eternal life? What is eternal life? This man asked Jesus, how do I gain eternal life? What are you talking about? What even is, what is eternal life? And the common Jewish belief, this is a Jewish man. He's an influential Jewish man in first century, right? And, and so he would, have, he would have been taught the commandments. He said, I followed all of those. I'm a good Jew. He knew, he knew the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. He knew all the stories. He, he, he kept all of the feasts, right? Passover and all the other feasts. He, he was a man who understood what, what Jewish people believe. And so he would, have, he would have known that, or at least he would have believed that the true Israelites are God's chosen people. That was his framework. The, the, the true Israelites are God's chosen people. Now, he's influential. That means he has some standing within this community of the Israelites. If anybody's a good Israelite, he's amongst that group in his mind, right? And the Messiah will come to restore Israel's kingdom. Now, people are questioning whether or not this Jesus is the Messiah. No doubt, that's why he comes up to him. He's like, people are saying, you might be the Messiah. I'm going to ask you some questions. Right? Because they believe that the Messiah is going to come back and restore the kingdom of Israel. And they believe that there will be an eternal life by which God's chosen people will live for eternity in this restored kingdom of Israel. So he asks, how does one be a part of that? How does one be a part of that? What about in our common secular kind of framework, how do we define eternal life? I would submit that this is what I always thought. First of all, how do you define life? I always define life like this. It's from the moment you're, you're born, or we could have the argument conceived, when does conception happen? It's not the argument we're having this morning, but somewhere you're born, right? There's a beginning of your physical life, and then you die. And everything in between that is your life. And so we like to say, we want to, we want to make a bucket list and we want to get the most out of our life. So what's the term we use? YOLO. Because you only live once, right? So make the most of it. And then we would, we would define eternal life as what happens after your, your regular life, right? That's common. Like religious people believe you live and then eternal life begins after you live. Well, interesting, Jesus flips that all around. This is not what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches in many places, but most specifically in John 17, he says eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ, right? Knowing is a term that means having an intimate relationship with. Eternal life equals having an intimate relationship with God. And so it doesn't begin when this life ends. 
It begins when you enter into a relationship with God. And by the way, through this, Jesus Christ is the only way to have that relationship with God. So here you have this man who's influential, Jewish man, thinks he's doing pretty good. Society would say he's doing pretty good. He'd be on the list of, he'd be on the good guy list, right? I mean, Santa has him on, not on the naughty list, right? He's on the good guy list. He's probably getting something nice for Hanukkah, right? Because he's Jewish. And, and here he comes to this Jesus, and he's like, hey, good teacher. What do you think he's expecting to hear back? Hey, good teacher. He wants Jesus to go like this. Hey, good man of God, right? That's, that's what's going on here. And Jesus is like, well, you don't even understand what eternal life is. I don't even think you understand what you're even asking me right now, right? You're asking me, how do I secure a great place in the afterlife? And when, that's not even how I de- determine eternal life. And so he's like, bail all the stuff that you think is life, that you think is life-giving, and gain real life, which is following me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he, by the way, he goes both now and, and forever. So eternal life is redefined by Jesus in this uncommon perspective. It's not the common Jewish thought. It's not the common secular thought of our day, it's very uncommon that eternal life equals having a relationship with God. Your relationship with God is life. That's why Jesus said, I am the life. Life is having a relationship with Jesus. And so this rich guy has a very, very common dilemma, doesn't he? How do I keep my old life, which I like, and also secure a place in the next life which I want. How do I keep my old life and gain eternal life? Do I have to give up, fill in the blank? You know how many times I've heard that? I used to do youth ministry, and we would go to camp, and you know, you're speaking about this Jesus, and following Jesus is great, and you guys should do it. You should follow Jesus and all of these things, right? And they're weighing out this cost. And no doubt in the weighing out of a 16-year-old, often they're going to say, do I have to give up girls, <laughs> right? Do I have to give up? What do I have to give up in order to follow this Jesus? That's what this man is, is, is weighing out. What will I have to do if I follow this Jesus, right? What do I have to do and what, what, what am I going to have to give up? Here's the thing. When you get to the point where that's where you're at in weighing the equation, it shows that you have no idea what you're talking about in the equation. You don't see the surpassing worth of Jesus. Because nobody is going to have a shack with a life there where they struggle and they have very little enjoyment. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, I want to give you a gift I have, all, I have too much. I want you to live in my mansion for free. And you can have all of this money monthly. And it's just a gift I want to give to you. Nobody is going to have that offer and go, yeah, but can I keep my shack? <laughs> right? And yet that's 
what's going on here is this guy doesn't realize he has a shack compared to what God is offering him. And so he walks away sad because he has a really nice shack. And he doesn't see who's standing before him as a king with an even better mansion. So eternal life is having a relationship with God and entering into a relationship with God is a wonderful thing because of who God is and what God has done and what God has promised. So for those of us who have seen the surpassing worth of Jesus and have chosen to follow him, it's good news. But to those who don't estimate it that way, they don't see, they fail to see the surpassing worth of Jesus, they don't even understand why we call it good news, do they? They don't understand what's so good about about this news. They don't understand the gospel. So he asks, how do I have eternal life? And very clearly, Jesus is like, well, follow me. That is eternal life. Follow me and have a relationship with me. That's the answer, but you don't even know what you're asking, so, so it's going to be confusing to you. It's interesting in Mark's gospel. This, this, same, this is in Luke. The same story is told in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke, with a little bit of a variance, but pretty similar. The variance in Mark is this. It says, this man goes, how do I have eternal life? He goes, uh, you know the commandments. He goes, I've followed all those commandments. Those are all the same. And then it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said, you lack one thing. He loved this man. And so Jesus is coming at this man, not not to try to be difficult, but with a shepherd's heart. Like, you know what would be really good for you (laughs) right now? Is if you just realize that everything that you think matters doesn't matter so much. And everything that you really need is standing right before you. And if you will follow me, you have no idea how much better it's going to be. But my heart is broken because I already know what your answer is going to be. But I'm going to tell you anyways. Get rid of that stuff. It's weighing you down. And follow me. You guys ever heard of a monkey trap? So here's a monkey trap. I've told it before. Some of you guys may have heard it from me. Some of you guys may have stumbled upon it um, on the Google. But... Here's a monkey trap is. A monkey trap is super simple. It was invented very long time ago. Uh, the goal, obviously, is to trap a monkey. And it's very simple, actually. Certain types of monkeys. All you have to do is you take a, a, a hollow log. Take a hollow log, and you burrow a hole that's big enough for a monkey to put its hand in there. And you, you got you to do is put something in there that the monkey wants, like a banana. Well, here's the thing. The monkey is very intelligent. Do you guys agree? Monkeys are very intelligent. And yet, they really like bananas. And like us, when, when in the presence of a banana, you don't always make the best decisions. And so the monkey puts his hand in the, in the monkey trap, which is a hollow-out log with a banana in it, and grabs the banana. Well, if you do it right... The hole is big enough for you to get your hand in there, but not your fist out. And so he'll put his hand in there, 
He'll grab the banana, and they've literally filmed monkeys for hours and hours and hours. He will not let go of the banana, even though freedom is going to be found at letting go of the banana. That's all he needs to do is just let go of the banana. You could go up to the monkey and speak monkeys and be like, hey, monkey, just let go of the banana and follow, and let's go get some in and out, dude, right? He would look at you and be sad because he wants that banana. <laughs> Here's Jesus who sees this man in a monkey trap. And he goes, go sell everything that you have. Let go. Just let go. And start all over again. Follow me. And the man won't go. Because he's sad. Because he has a great, monkey in it, a great banana in his hand. And the second question he's going to ask is this. How can I earn this eternal life? And the man literally says this. He goes, what must I do? What must I do? Have you ever seen somebody or have you ever had an attitude of, I ha- what do I have to do? What's a better attitude? What can I do? What do I get to do? What do I have to do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He might ask this, will my social standing be enough? In our society, we like to build a brand. We, we, we each have a brand. That's what it's come down to. That's what social media is. It's always been that way, but that's what social media has expanded us to. Everyone has a brand, and your brand matters, right? And you portray, you market your brand in these little square pictures and you want, or stories boards, right? That people can watch. And you have a brand. It's what people think of you. You can try to create and, and, and shape how people think of you. That's your brand. Whatever people think of you, that's your brand. Is my brand good enough? Is my brand good enough? And here's this man who it says he's influential. People would have looked at him and said, he's, he's somebody to follow. He's somebody whose voice matters. He's a good person. And it's interesting, he, like we said, he, he comes up to Jesus and he goes, good teacher. No doubt he's doing this with an agenda. <laughs> right? Jesus is now has a, a pretty good brand at this point in his ministry. People are talking about this Jesus. He, he's a man of interest. He walks in. This man walks up to this man of interest, Jesus. He goes, good teacher. Everyone else thinks I'm good. Jesus, do you recognize that too? No doubt he wants him to go, you know, I'm going to like you on. I'll, you like me on my Facebook, I'll like you on your Facebook, right? There's some reciprocity wanted here. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll compliment you, you compliment me. But Jesus doesn't bite on this agenda, does he? Jesus doesn't bite on this agenda. Jesus doesn't play this status game with him. This guy thinks, because of who I am in society, surely if anybody is going to enter the kingdom of God, it would be me. But I just want to hear you say it. I just need to hear you say it. And yet Jesus, Jesus offers a heavenly perspective when this man has a cultural perspective 
And his perspective is this. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You're calling me good because you want me to affirm you as good, but nobody's good except for God alone. Some people wonder if Jesus is, is kind of asking this guy, why do you call me? Like, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Are you recognizing that God is good? That might be true, but it doesn't seem consistent with the context to me. I think he just totally doesn't get it. He thinks he's good. He wants to hear, he wants to hear God, Jesus say to him, you're doing great. Just keep up what you're doing. You're fine. And yet Jesus is going to tell him the exact opposite of what he wants to tell him. Oh, nobody's good except God. You have a need. You have a deep need, dude. Your whole life is going the wrong direction. You got to get rid of that and go a completely new direction. Is my good behavior going to be good enough? If my, good, if my brand isn't good enough, is my good behavior going to be good enough? So Jesus deals with that, doesn't he? He goes, you know the commandments. He lists five out of the ten. They're all commandments that, that have to do with how you treat people. And he's like, that's why I have good standing in this community. I treat people really well. He probably would have said, man, I tithe a bunch of money. I go to church every Sunday. or It wouldn't have been Sunday. It would have been Saturday for them. Right? I go to the synagogue. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I do all the festivals. I, I help out. I'm nice. I, 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 I employ a bunch of people. Right? I'm a good person. Is my good behavior enough? We, of course, know no one is saved by good works alone, right? We're saved by grace alone, not by good works. Jesus doesn't say to this man at any point, you know what, the things you're doing are terrible. You're a bad person. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't go, you're bad. He goes, look, the standard is no one's good except God alone, and everyone is in need. And your good works aren't good enough. You, one thing you lack, one thing you lack. You're doing, he doesn't even say, no, you don't, you don't follow those commandments. He's like, I follow those commandments. He doesn't rebuke him and go, oh yeah, really? You honor your mother and your father? What about that one time? Right? Jesus doesn't do that. He goes, no, okay. But one thing you lack, you need me. You need me. So sell everything you have and follow me. Jesus looked at him and loved him, and he gives him an offer. It's not a rebuke. It's an offer. Follow me. Follow me. Lay it down and follow me. And when we say saved, of course, we mean our sin causes relational separation between God And what Jesus does is he dies on a cross. All of our sin is nailed to the cross. And that removes that which is in the way between us and God. We don't have a relationship with God because sin is in the way. When you take away what's in the way, it brings those people together. That's called reconciliation. And so, and when you're reconciled to God, you now have a relationship with God, which Jesus is teaching is the very answer to your question. That is eternal life. How do I have a relationship with God, well, you need me. That's why I'm here, you would have probably said, right? As a matter of fact, if you want to follow on in the story, follow me because then you're going to see me 
go to the cross and answer the very question that you're really asking. Follow me, and you're going to see the answer. Because I'm about to die on a cross for all the sins that you can be reconciled to God. Then you can have the answer to your question. That's how you can have eternal life. So you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And there's irony in this, isn't there? There's irony in there. He goes, good teacher, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, like we said, he probably wants to hear, no, you're doing good enough. And yet the irony is, he calls him good teacher, but in his heart, not good enough to leave my old life and follow you on your offer of a new life. He doesn't see the surpassing worth of this Jesus. And then as we go on in the story, we see the disciples respond to this. Verse 24 through 30 says, Seeing that this man became sad, Jesus said to his disciples and everyone else, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Some, some, some fake news has gone on throughout the church history, and people believe that, that the needle was actually a gate in, in somewhere in Jerusalem. In, in around 1200s, a guy wrote that, I don't who knows where, in a commentary, and it just caught wind. It's not true. There was, Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's saying, the eye of the needle is where you put the string through when you're going to needle something. He's like, try to have a camel go through the eye of a needle. That's impossible. Right? It's, it's, it's that impossible for some rich people because of the monkey trap. The rich man trap, you might call it. He says, those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Then Peter said, look, we have left what we, have, what, what we had and followed you. So he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brother or sister, parent or children because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time an eternal life in the age to come. So the last thing in your notes that we want to look at is how can anyone be saved? That's what they're asking. How can anyone be saved? No doubt these disciples see when Jesus came and asked these disciples to follow him, all the ones that we, we do see their response, their response is like, do you even know who I am? Right? Peter, Peter falls down and weeps. is like, get away from me, Jesus. You don't know how bad I am. Right? They're all shocked because in society, no one would pick them to follow a rabbi. No one would pick these guys to follow a rabbi. And yet Jesus follows this guy to pick a rabbi. Now you have these guys following Jesus. I don't even know why you picked me, Jesus, but I'm just, I'm into it, right? I'm following you around. All these things are happening. He goes up to this rich dude, which every one of them would have picked to follow Jesus. Every one of them in society would have said, top 10 guys to follow Jesus. You need 10 guys, rich young ruler, pick him. That's a good guy right there. That's a winner, right? Get him on your team. And yet, he doesn't follow Jesus. These guys are like, if he doesn't get in, how are we going to get in? How can anyone be saved? 
I would submit that what we learn from this story is not that there is a perfect formula, but what we see is repent, receive, and follow. Jesus is calling this man to repent. Repentance is what? Repentance is literally turning towards the thing that you're aiming for. If you were out on the seas and you were, you were in the Navy and you were navigating and charting a way towards a specific destination and then somebody came in who was smart and good at math and all of those, those things and did some calculations and said, you know what, we're 20 degrees off. We're 20 degrees off to the north. A good captain would say, well, let's repent then and let's change direction 20 degrees and get back on course. That's repentance. Repentance is literally recognizing that you're off course and redirecting your course towards the correct destination. Jesus asked this guy, you're off course. You don't even know it because society is feeding you this These lies, you're fine, you're not fine. Let go of everything. Redirect your course towards me. Follow me, I'll lead you to the right direction. Calls us to repent. When we repent, sometimes we gotta let go of some things. No doubt, maybe the Holy Spirit is working in this room right now and you're like, wow, I'm I'm in a monkey trap. There's something I'm grabbing onto and I won't let go of, and it's holding me back. Repent. That's the call. Let go. Follow this Jesus. And then we got to receive. It's impossible to follow Jesus and to have a relationship with Jesus based on your good works. When Jesus tells this guy, sell everything and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Some people think that's the answer. If we all just sell everything that we have and follow this Jesus, that's the answer. That's not the answer. It's interesting. In Mark's gospel account, it's in chapter 10 that you hear, see this story. He goes, sell everything and give it to the poor. All the disciples are watching this. They hear him say, sell everything and give it to the poor. Mm, take note, right? Four chapters later, this lady comes in, Jesus is at his feet, and she pours nard by Fabergé. It's very expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. What do the disciples say? You should have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. We figured out the formula. Jesus rebukes them and blesses the lady and goes, no, what she did was awesome. Like, what are you even talking about, Jesus? It's not about selling everything and give it to the poor. Jesus tell, or God tells Abraham, go up to the mountain, sacrifice Isaac. He does it. God has another plan, though. He doesn't make him go through with it. It's testing your heart. Is there anything you won't lay down? Is Jesus first in your heart? Have you decided to follow Jesus no matter what the cost? Not because it costs a lot, but because you realize everything else is a shack compared to the surpassing worth of this Jesus. We'll have the worship team come back up. As they're setting up for us to respond to Jesus' worth, I just want to try something out with you guys as they're kind of getting set up. It, It might be a little bit weird, but if you've been here a while, this won't be a shock to you. And I did this this week, and so I want to give you guys a chance, because really, I mean, it's a simple message, right? 
Do you see the surpassing worth of Jesus? And do you realize that anything that you would give up, anything that he would ask you to do, is nothing compared to the surpassing worth of who Jesus is and the reward not only in heaven, but the reward right now as you have a relationship with him. Having a relationship with Jesus is better than anything else. In comparison, there's nothing that compares. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.